For those of you who have been here over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at John chapter 6. Um, and this, man, is a passage for the ages, I have to say. Um, it's more than massive. It's like, this is like... This is almost like the heart of, of the gospel, just like probably every other scripture. But this one even almost feels like even more so, you know. There's, there's, um, the, the profoundness of what is going on in these verses is, is awesome. And like we looked at last week with Jesus feeding the 5,000, I assume, Jay, that you're working on this, otherwise I... <laughs> um, you know, and, and the scriptures leading up um, to, to John chapter 6 is almost like this transition where Jesus is taking every possible opportunity to draw his disciples and his followers into this almost like this ultimate climax point where he's about to reveal the reality of who he is to them. And this is like a climax passage here in John chapter 6 about Jesus being the bread of life. And so John chapter 6, verse 35, and I'll just, I'll just read through these, these verses. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you, I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread, of, the bread that has come down from heaven. They were saying, is, this not, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Awesome scriptures, eh? Powerful, powerful scriptures. And you see here a transition from Jesus feeding the 5,000 to, to him presenting himself as true food and true drink, the bread that's come out of heaven. And you know, what I found, what initially struck me in this passage is the response as he starts to unveil the reality of who he is. Um, you know, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Who come, uh, he who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And it says in verse 41, Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread of life that's come down out of heaven. Now listen to this. They were saying, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? And you see here this, this confrontation. It's confrontational without Jesus probably even trying to be confrontational. They know him as, this is, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? See, they know him as Jesus, son of Joseph. But he's saying, guys, I'm actually not Jesus, son of Joseph. I am the bread that's come down out of heaven. I'm the true bread of life. And you see this confrontation over and over again in the scriptures of a people who are trying to comprehend who he is through the natural lens. But he's actually presenting himself in not that way. He's not Jesus, he's not, not merely Jesus, son of Joseph. He's Jesus, the Messiah, the true bread of life, the bread of heaven. And it reminded me as I was reading about the passage of, of John the Baptist. And I'll just, I'll just read this because I think it, it helps to set the scene. Uh, let me find these verses. And in John 1, you don't have to turn there, but this is um, Jesus and John the Baptist. It says this, The next day he saw Jesus coming, this is John the Baptist, and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him. I did not recognize him. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. And you see a similar sort of thing that here's John the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin, whose mothers were best buddies, whose mother um, had... Um, the, her baby leaping in the womb. So she, like, they are relationally connected to the max, you know. Mothers are intimately acquainted. The two children have grown up together. And John the Baptist says, guys, when he turned up on the scene, I didn't recognize him. I knew him as Jesus, my cousin. 
but I didn't know him as behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I knew him as my cousin, but I didn't know him as my Messiah. I knew him according to the flesh, but it wasn't until the Holy Spirit descended upon him that I had this realisation, man, behold, here's the, the man who takes away the sin of the world. And you see this here in this passage that they're confronted because they know Jesus son of Joseph, but they don't know the, the true bread of life who gives life to the womb. And so to me, that I feel like this, this scene is set in that context. And he's about, he wants to reveal himself, not in who he was naturally, but he wants to reveal himself as the bread who's come down from heaven that they just don't know about relationally, but they actually partake of. They would eat his flesh and drink his blood, and in eating and drinking and partaking of who he is, they would know him in this real dynamic living way, not naturally, but spiritually, because they've received the substance of who he is inside them that unlocks this divine revelation of, of who he is. So we're going to unpack these, these powerful scriptures this evening and really dive into what does it mean for Jesus to be this bread who's come down out of heaven that gives life to the world. Is that cool? All right, so I've got some questions for the panel. Greg said that he's not going to speak much tonight, so let's see how long that lasts. <laughs> so maybe, Mel, you can kick us off with uh, question number one. Yeah. It says, Jesus says that those who come to him will never hunger or thirst. What does that mean? What does it mean to never hunger or thirst? Uh, for me, it's just the being continuously fed and nourished um, from the inside and out, you know. And you know how it says, seek first the kingdom and his righteous, righteousness and everything else is added. And to, to eat and drink of his life um, continuously is to... to it, it, uh, I literally know that I can't live without it. And so eating and drinking by faith, it's like I'm, I'm participating and partaking of the person of Christ every day uh, to keep the, the spirit man alive and well and thriving. And the, yeah, to continuously by faith um, feed on his body is to participate and believe what his what he sacrificed his body for and to drink the blood the nourishment the, the very thing that gives life is to by faith um, take hold of and participate in what the blood has purchased you know so it's it's Christ is the absolute source but it resources me in every way um, so yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome, man. Uh, what I hear you saying is that it's, it's not just the blood that covers, hey? You know, no. it's a blood that you partake of. That's you know? it. And, th and that's the reality of the gospel is not, is not just the blood that was put on the door frames of the houses. It's that, but yes. also it's the blood that's to pulsate through our veins. You Absolutely. know, that, that gives life to the spiritual man, but our entire being. Hey, you know. Yeah, and I would say it's as literal as when Christ was on the cross and he was wounded in the side and how the water, the spirit and the blood, the flesh 
was opened for the birthing, you know, and so it's it it really is the <laughs> the divine spiritual fluid that lived within him that nourished his very body is the same place that as new creations in him that was founded in him and birthed from him is is a life that can only be nourished by where it came from. You know, it just reminds me of, um, you know, David in the Psalms. He says, you know, your, your loving kindness is greater than life, hey? You know, and that to him, you know, this, this loving kindness, that the love of God in him that had been implanted into him, not through anything that he had done, but through receiving Christ in him was greater than life, you know, and that the, that the, the, the greatest desire of his being was now the living God, as opposed to every other love or source that he had previously had. Eh? Yes. You know, yes. So, what, what about what about for you, Greg? <laughs> um, I just love his confidence. Like I am this reality, and because I know who I am and I know what I bring, then I say an absolute statement. So I am the bread of life. And if anyone would come to me and believe in me, they too will know the bread of life. Mm. But there's also a process because you must come and you must believe if you never want to thirst. So how do we come, number one? And what does it mean to believe? Because they are the, they are the two determinant factors to never thirsting and never hungering. And so... There's a challenge even with that is there's an absolute way. You know, so Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the bread. And I love, he's really signaling who he is. I'm the Messiah. I am. That's why they get very offended. Because if the I am is saying drink blood, then the I am wouldn't say that. Because the I am would know Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy says we're not to drink blood. So how can this be the Messiah and yet the Messiah is saying if you come to me and believe in me you can have this eternal life um, and I love it you'll never hunger and thirst for what? anything but me and I, th and I think you know just as you're saying you'll never hunger and thirst for anything but me you just see the paradox almost and you know and jesus says um you know blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied eh? you know and even in those two lines hunger and thirst those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied you know that actually what what he's saying here you know I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Actually, you will thirst, but the thirst in you will be from a, an entirely different position that you're no longer looking for life to fulfill you because actually you've found the source of life, hey, you know? So you absolutely hunger, but your hunger is now has come from an entirely different place that... And it's your hunger's fulfilled in him. So you can be absolutely hungry and completely satisfied all at the same time, you know? 
And yet the hunger of the world is a complete opposite because the more that you eat, the more unsatisfied that you get or you feel like you're satisfied for a moment but then the next moment you're all of a sudden hungry again and you never actually find what it is that your heart is longing and looking for, eh? You know? That's it and that's what you see with this group of people where he fed them. He fed them bread and yet they were hungry but they would they refused to come to him to feast on him you know and it's interesting how the bread of life Christ himself is before them and he's saying eat and drink of me and just as you were talking about you know um, John the Baptist being the cousin didn't recognize him didn't recognize what was before them and the you know the the, the bread saying come eat of me, come feast of me, and you'll never hunger and thirst. And even James, his brother, right, coming from the same bloodline, the same flesh and blood, nourished by the same parents, you know, yet did not recognize him while Christ was on the earth as the bread of life or as anything that he was claiming himself to be until... The cross and afterwards then he then he writes a book and he calls himself a bond servant you know and it's because he's now being nourished and fed by the spiritual nourishment of you know the blood and the flesh and the spirit and imagine how James as the brother might have felt when Jesus is on the cross and he looks to his mother and he says to the other disciple who wasn't a brother of flesh and blood and said behold take hold of your mother take hold of your son because it's of a different realm it's of the spiritual substance you know yeah and I draw the parallels between them and us you know so they've had for centuries that you don't drink blood and you don't eat you know and then this person rocks up on the scene who starts saying the opposite you know, and claims to be their God. And this is what happens for us, you know, when you're trying to understand things and you don't have the spirit, is that you are like them going, who can listen to this guy? This is difficult to understand. What are you talking about? And everything that you think you believe because you've taught yourself comes into four, doesn't it? Because what's being spoken just like here is of the spirit you know because he's obviously come to fulfill the law he is the spirit but they're not of the spirit and so you can't just go oh that's those idiots back then i wouldn't have done that because we're looking with hindsight but the same thing unfolds here if we're trying to understand what's being said through the flesh like they are it makes no sense to what you think you know because you know in essence, they didn't want to miss him again. They weren't intentionally trying to miss him. They were waiting for him, but they were joining dots that were never joining up. And so they ended up missing him, and as it goes on, and it says many disciples who believed him and walked away. And the thing that holds Peter here is he's got a revelation he's the Messiah. So that's what holds him. He says, you know, these words, I know, I know you carry these words of eternal life. I don't understand anything you say. But I do know this one thing, that the Father through the Spirit has revealed you're the Messiah. So it doesn't really matter what you say, I know you're the Messiah, even though I don't understand. And so that's what holds. Well, this is what happens here, is that a revelation holds you when you don't have understanding. 
And when everyone else might be walking away because they don't understand you're staying because you have something someone doesn't have. And that's, again, the power of revelation is that it's beyond, it, 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 you know, it, it, it takes you to a place that's not in your natural understanding, but it holds you and has the power to hold you and have you live something different to other people, even though you might not be able to explain it. So the question that I have is, so, if, so Jesus obviously knew what Deuteronomy said, right? And, and he knew that, you know, it, it says that you're not to drink blood. Why do you think he used that example, knowing the kind of reaction it would invoke in the people who heard it? Do you think that was an accident? or? <laughs> Or is there something that was going on? You know, why did he, why did he use that example? When there's, I mean, there's different typologies that he could have used to describe what it means to partake of himself. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that's an off-the-script question. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, <laughs> the more, the more... The more I come to know Christ and the more I see him, how he moves and his apostolic confrontations through the kind of questions he asks me or others or the statements he makes, it's always coming from this full position where he obviously he already knows, he already knows, but he he's he's doing it for our sake and asking the very question to reveal to us the need that we are actually lacking in that only he can fill. And and so yes, he definitely <laughs> he definitely knew that that would be very um confrontational, but but I think his heart burned so much for them to come to know the intimacy and the knowing of him, the true oneness of uh, I, you know, it's like your blood. That's that's within you. That's not an external thing. I can't give you, you know, my blood. It's like that's a that's a subs an internal substance that, uh, yeah, can. I feel like you can't even sh like share blood. Like you know what I mean? It's not when you when you give something to someone or you you fulfill a need an ex outside need. It's like you can share in in something, but something that's so of oneness, you know, like that's a that's a different thing, you know. I don't think he's he's like Mel was saying, he's fully aware of the reality that is, and um, he's testing all the time. It's like, why did he speak in parables when he could have just said it plainly? You know, because he's throwing stuff out there to see who has ears. He's he's looking for something intentionally with when he says and when he says everything, because he's got a absolute idea um, and a plan of what he's been sent for. Um, and he also knows that you know he, the, the everything was designed to point to himself. So everything that's gone before him is pointing towards him. But they didn't realise that you know that the law was put in place to make you realise that you can't keep it. 
like don't try to keep it because you can't keep it because it's there as a tutor to bring you to the one who's going to fulfill it. You know, so the whole thing's a setup to lead you to himself. And so he's aware of that. It's just that they're not and we might not be, you know. So ultimately I think he's 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 speaking things, knowing things, testing things, um, looking for things, um, not just here, but as he continues to go forward with his own disciples, mm-hmm. to see who's going to come, who needs, who's aware of their absolute need for him, mm-hmm. um, and while at the same time speaking in alignment to himself, so he's not contradicting himself. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely, and I feel like. In that, to me, the question is, who, who's able to hear the spiritual word that actually goes beyond physical flesh and blood, but is describing the, the spiritual reality of who he is, eh? you know? And, and to me, it's like a, a statement like that will require a certain kind of hearing to be able to engage with, hey, eh? you know, yeah. that, you know, it's only, it's um, it's only confrontational bec- when you don't when you don't hear correctly, eh? You know, it's actually not confrontational at all. It's just a word that that's spiritual, and and to me, you know, offence comes when there's when you actually don't hear what's truly being said, eh? You know, because if you heard what was truly being said, there would be no offence to the word at all, you know, and and so I feel like. You know, if you're offended by a word that comes, to me that that's there's an opportunity there to almost take stock and say, am I actually hearing what's truly being said, or am I hearing what I currently believe and have I interpreted it as what's actually truly being said, or in the way that I've that I've maybe perceived it, you know? And and I think here's a here's a classic example, you know, and it's interesting the disciples' response, you know, it says, therefore many of his disciples, when they said the, uh, when, when, he, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement, who can listen to it, you know? Why is it difficult? Why is it difficult when Jesus all of a sudden is starting to bring to light the gift of most, the most precious value that these people could ever have received? You know, not only is he giving them miracles and signs of wonders, he's giving them his very, the very substance of his being. It's the greatest gift that, that earth has ever known. And it's hard. Who can hear it? Who can receive it? You know, and so... It's, to me, it's like that. It requires a kind of hearing to be actually able to receive what's on offer. That isn't natural. It's heavenly and eternal. Eh? You know. And I love it because it's Peter, eh? <laughs> Peter, who was offended by Christ, but was also called an offense to Christ. But it's it's Peter and to Peter. I think that says this stone is either a stumbling block and an offense to people, or it's precious. You know, either you hear it and go, that is precious, and you hear in the spirit and you 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 yearn and hunger for that, or like you say, it's an offence and a stumbling block. Yeah. And I think it's it's connected to the first scripture, you know, into what you're saying about hearing, because he talks about there's a way in which we must come, and there's a way to believe. And as we know, the Bible says you must come as a child. So. Unless you're converted and become like a child, you'll never enter into the kingdom dimension of reality. 
And so they're not coming as children, they're coming as ones who believe they know the Torah and know the law back to front probably. So they're coming as adults going, that's not the truth. You know, and so this whole reality, then what does it mean then to believe? And as it says in John 6, the first work is to believe, which is to not make a mental agreement with what's being said because that's what they're doing. So he's speaking and they're going through their mental agreement going, do we believe that? No, because the Messiah wouldn't say that. That's not what we believe. You know, so the whole thing's a setup. So that's why verse 35 is so important and because there's an outcome associated with that process. If you come as a child and you believe the way we're called to believe, then you will not hunger and thirst. You will be full overflowing while wanting more. And I love what you said because it's a capacity thing, isn't it? And that's why I mentioned it becoming one. You know, the greater that you're eating and partaking, the greater your capacity. So where one person might be falling asleep beside you, you're like, we're just getting started. One's ready to go home, put the slippers on, put the cup of tea on and have a drink and just can't handle any more spiritual food. You're like, can we go all night? Because your capacity, because we're giving, there's no limit to the spirit. Yeah. So you're given a limitless reality, but is it? See, this is this dimension, is that we all have the potential so if you hunger and thirst, you eat and partake, you'll be full, but you'll always want more, and you can continue to go more and more and more and more. And I'm not saying you don't need physical sleep, but the, the thing is you can, you can. it's literally like blood transfusion. So if you think about the blood in Jesus and the powers in the blood, and you got hooked up to that 24-7, it's like being hooked up to Jesus 24-7. There is no on and off. It's just how much do you want? Well, I'm going to stay abiding the entire time, so I'm going to walk like he walks, speak like he speaks. I'll sleep when he sleeps, and I'm awake when he's awake. When he's at peace, I'm at peace, because we're one. But it's connected to that very first verse, because once again, that's the way in. And just as just as you're sharing, you know, it, it, it brings me back to what we were talking about this morning about and about the gospel. You know, in a gospel that, or you know, the work of God that's external of us versus a work of God that's within us. And obviously, we know that both are from Him. You know, but one is more intimate than than the other, eh? And and what is more intimate than actually having His blood pumped into your veins? You know what I mean? It's like that that the that what you're to partake of doesn't just stay outside you, it enters into you, you know, and something entering into you is a very vulnerable place to be, you know, like, I, I just remember, it reminded me of the, when we were in Cambodia with Vana, and we were going to these villages out in the Wops, and Vana just said, hey, can we just pull over for a second, I just want to get a snack, and we just pull over on the side of the road, and he pulls out this little bag and it, and it had like I don't even know what they were they looked like five like grasshoppers or crickets and they were like scorched black you know and he's like anyone <laughs> and I was like I don't want that thing to go from being outside me <laughs> to inside me because if it goes inside me who knows what's going to happen to me you know what's, coming in. what's going to come out of here you know <laughs> but it's a picture right you know it's like 
that's the most intimate kind of a relationship with a cricket I could possibly <laughs> imagine, you know. I could hold it, I could touch it, I could sniff it. But if it was to enter inside me, there's no knowing what's going to take place, you know. And that's the reality of this, right? He's like, guys, you know, I'm, you know, as your Messiah, I don't want you to just be around me. I want you to partake of me. Because unless you partake of me, there's actually not going to be at any kind of transformation in your inner world. But if you partake of me, the substance of who I am will enter into you and there will be a physical manifestation in your actual body. So what does it say? That, that, that he will give life even to your mortal body. You know, that the, the spiritual work is not just to stay spiritual it's not a it's not lofty because it has an actual real implication to your life that we you know when we talk about partaking and talking about being hooked up to who he is you actually receive divine grace in you to be able to live from a new kind of capacity that actually alters your life eh? you know and it's it's you know taste and see Taste and see, and it's it's an invitation to partake partake of him in in an inexperiential way, where you're tasting and seeing, not mentally agreeing and you know sizing things up and trying to work it out. But it's a it's a literal tasting and seeing, like with a cricket. You know, it's you can study it. You know what's it going to do to your body if you eat it. You can look at it, but to actually pick it up and partake of it. Is is the way in which we're called to participate in Christ's life, you know, and it says that the promises He's given us is to partake in the divine nature and to know this life. Um, um, what was I going to say with the oh, and then but then it's almost like feeding on Him, but at the same time, you know, it in the opposite where the Pharisees are like, hey your disciples shouldn't be eating these things. And, and Jesus is like, hey, don't worry about what's going in, but it's what comes out. But it's when Christ is established in you, you know, when you're eating and feeding, that's that's what comes out. You know what I mean? Just if we can use this, this is a really good analogy of this cricket thing. Yeah, Because um, I, I have had them, and they're really yummy. Um, they taste like satay nuts. Sort of, um, but you know, if, we, if you take this picture here of Jesus has just done two miracles, yeah. So he's he's doing these miracles, um, and then he's trying to lead them somewhere that they ultimately reject. Why? Like, if I said to you, and I'm not sure if you had them, but I've had a few of those crickets, and I said, Sam, they're beautiful, mate. Want to have one? Taste. Why would you reject that? So that's, if I'm telling you how amazing this is, like if Jesus has just done a miracle, this is amazing, why would you reject what he's now saying when he's just done a miracle? So one is he doesn't, he doesn't trust me. What are some of the other reasons why you, you would reject Christ? Unbelief. Can you reframe that in another way? Like, 
self wants to stay in control what's self ultimately afraid of because it's trying to stay in control for some reason what's protecting itself from what would Sam be protecting himself the unknown I don't know if it tastes good but if I don't try I'll never know and if it is and I will walk away. I've just rejected what was. So this is for them, yeah. But once again, you can't just go, "Well, oh, that's them," because any time you're trying to understand the same word that's being spoken, going, and possibly not tasting, and not believing, not trusting, all the things we've said, and don't partake, haven't you or haven't we just done exactly the same thing? So then we're actually never going to experience verse 35 as our reality because you only experience that reality if you partake. Especially if it's coming, the unknown is coming from someone who's familiar, right? You don't, re- you don't really, it's like, I know who you are, you know, like I know things about you so, and you're talking about something that's unknown to me, but because we're familiar, you know, and that, that, like you say, can happen right here. Isn't that what happened to him? Yeah. That's so right. if it happens to him, it'll happen to you. Yeah, that's if right. If you're in him. That's right. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's interesting that it was those closest to him that were the most offended, right? You know, and, you know, because he's saying, I've come down from heaven, you know, and they're saying, but we know your father, you know. He's saying, "But I've come down from heaven," you know, and 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 you see and you see in there that him coming down from heaven, you know, it's more than just a physical locational change, right? You know, he's saying, "I've come with heaven's way that you know nothing about," you know, and now that to me, the ability to receive from those closest to you to me is the ultimate defining point right it's easier to receive from the prophet that flies in from wherever you know who looks the part but to receive from those who are the closest but actually maybe they have come from heaven maybe they've been sent with with god's perspective god's mentality god's heartbeat for you you know that, to me, that's where the rubber hits the road, eh? And are we, are we able to not see with our natural eyes and judge, but to hear what it is that the, the Holy Spirit is saying, the Word of God? And to me, that, that, that's where it's the battle's won or lost, hey? You know? can, you, can you hear not from natural, but from ears of the Spirit, you know? I love what you said then because that's that thing. We're so accustomed to looking in the natural. So you look, I look at Amanda and I go, <laughs> it's just Amanda Smith, whatever. You know? And I don't even have a chance to hear because in my eyes I've already written her off. Especially when what she's saying makes no sense to me. Now, if I've got any form of pride in me, she even butchered that entire scripture. Why? Because I know the original text. Not necessarily, son. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like that just exposes what's there. And let's even say what Amanda said wasn't of God. Even that response exposes what's not there. That's right. 
So either way, you're being exposed, you know. But this is why it says right at the start in Deuteronomy, because you haven't seen me, don't make me in your image from what you look at. You've got to hear my voice because you haven't seen my form. But what are we great at doing? Building formulas and forms. You know, so we build them in the image of one another. So we put people up on pedestals. We make them our God. We want him as our king. So let's put them up there. And then when they mess up, we tear them down. We throw them that way. We go get another one. And we've got to keep that going because we all, we need a pope. We need a pope because the pope's going to do our work. <laughs> or you make images of animals. Oh, they did that when they built the cow. Do you know, this is in us. This, this is how sick we are. Yeah? And this is why the warning is, you cannot, your first point of call is hear what the Spirit says to the church, which takes the natural out of it. And it starts to test whether you can hear. And that's what we were saying before about offence. You know, like, we have to be very careful with our words. Anyone who's communicating has to be very careful with words, yeah? So you're not trying to offend. And I know for me, sometimes, you know, man, I make up words. I don't mean to. Words come out, I'm going, don't even know that was even a word. <laughs> My heart's not to do that. I'm trying to express this eternal word, which has a whole other language to it, yeah? But you're trying to describe a reality. Now, if someone's been hurt, the words that you use can reinforce their hurt, but you're not speaking words that hurt, but their offence is associating with the words, so they think you're hurting them because you said these words. But you're actually speaking an entirely different word, and this is where the word can actually offend you and you can walk away from the word because you didn't hear the word, you just heard words and your offence associated with words and you got hurt. So I'll give you an example. Mel, you got no faith. Now that could be the truth because Jesus said that to Peter. Mel, sorry but you've got no faith or you're of little faith. Now, if that was the case... And that's true. Should that cause an offence? If Mel's in, no, because the truth makes you free. But if Mel's not, then she can very quickly get offended, which means we can't actually share one another the truth because we're afraid we're going to get offended one another. And this is what Chris was saying this morning, because we're not partaking of him. So we get offended like that which is the evidence of something that's not here because they nailed the guy to a cross and he said forgive. That's what me and Harrison were talking about on the way in. Is like living an eternal life, no matter what happens, that you can minister an eternal life because you're partaking of an eternal life and you're living above earth. You know? And so this is the thing because Jesus confronted his disciples and said, how long do I have to be here? Now that could have took up, man, we're now taking you know, up arms and placards and we're now placarding against Jesus. You offended me. You, no, 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 I'm just telling you the truth from love because I am love and it's all love. And you need to know the truth if you really want to enter into this. 
But it is the hardest thing to do in the body of Christ is to preach the truth. But you need to because otherwise the body of Christ will never get free. And I think it's the greatest challenge, you know, is to actually be in him and speak him. And you've got to be free because you're not trying to offend. You want to see people set free. But if we don't know who we are, if we don't know who we're for, if we don't actually know we're for one another, and you've got to believe that, you know. And nine times out of ten, if you're getting offended, you're probably not believing it. You only think you do. Because if you truly believe that someone is for you, they're not intentionally trying to hurt you, are they? Okay, so say you are the person who is recognising some... This is a... I'm not saying... This is just a made-up thing. So say you're the person who's recognising that there is something within somebody that um, you see and you know that if you say that, it's highly likely that they are going to get offended by you saying it to them. Then... What do you choose to do in that situation as in, like, in that moment, you know, you have to really be listening. So say you've already recognised it for several weeks or months or whatever, but you're like, mm, not ready. And then even in the moment where you see it again, you're like, is this the time or not? So... When these things happen, yep. what, what do you do in that moment? Yep. So the first thing is you, you need to be led by him. Be led by him. So if he's saying the time is now to go, then you have to go. Okay? And then you pray, <laughs> and you've been praying all the time because you want your brother or sister in life, so you're praying for them and hoping that... The Holy Spirit's going to do a work because he's the greatest one obviously bringing revelation. He's the only one. But it's not happening. And God says, it's time to go and deliver this word. Okay? Now you have to check your own heart. Okay? Am I going because I love this person? Yes. Awesome. Am I for this person? Yes, I'm for them. So then he says, right, I want you to go and I want you to share it. Now I would be going, okay, are there particular words that you want me to use? Is there a picture? Is there a parable? Is there a story? Is there some sort of illustration that I can use to help share that's going to aid them in grabbing what we're trying to say, knowing that I'm bringing a revealed word that unless the Holy Spirit brings it to light, the chances of them grasping this thing is minimal, but they might be able to grasp it in their mind. So you're thinking about all those things and wanting to deliver it the best way possible in the hope that the person would then hear and receive it. Now, you can do that to a T and still upset the person because that's what we read about here. Yeah, So it's more about going, am I going in the right heart? Give me the right words to say. Is it an image I can say? Because that can sometimes connect with the person. You know, and you go, tomato? 
What's the tomato got to do with it? Well, I got this picture of this tomato. Ping. Okay. <laughs> you know. Um, and then you leave that, and you can have a discussion around that. Like, what are you hearing? You know what I mean? So you're dialoguing. Um, and you can even frame it when you turn up with the person. Look, the things I've got to say today are quite sensitive. They have the potential to cause hurt and division. I don't want them to, but I want to bring this to you. And I also say to people, it's like, um, you know, like, seek him on this. So don't come down, thus saith the Lord. Do you know what I mean? Because there's no way around that. It's, that's, in fact, that's what we do to set... That's actually what Christians do to actually do the opposite of everything I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and so it's just so you're coming with this heart and this softness, and then you might say, Can we pray at the end of it? You know? And then you leave the Holy Spirit. You might check in with the person in a day or two just to see how they're processing that. Um, and you hope that they know they're for you. Because on the other side of that, this is where no one's out of the process, you know. What we're talking about, everyone needs to be teachable. Everyone says they want to grow. You know, so, um, I, mean, I love Chris Reddington, you know, he, he invites this, you know, and that's why it can really work well when people invite, help me see what I'm not seeing. I mean, because there's no... There's, no, there's nothing to lose and everything to gain, you know. So does that, does that help? Ultimately, you want to hear him. And what I also do is, depending on what's happening, is is this person influencing others to what they must maybe believe? Because they start drawing people away. That's another tension, you know. So you've got to just try and measure their influence. And if it's just themselves, then that's can also aid the time, you know, because it's like... This, I have what I call these parameters and people can move backwards and forwards and you can get right to the end, you know, and you're like, oh, don't go over the end because then I'm going to have to have a oh, funny conversation. Oh, they never came back. So you're praying like mad because he makes the best Holy Spirit, you know, and he can say things in a way that we can't. So you just got to do your best and say, look, I'm, I, you know, this is the intent of my heart. That was a really good explanation, I have to say. <laughs> it, any, other, any other questions? Thoughts? What would you say, uh, What if people are willing to even just listen just to a little inch of what you're saying, let's say you are the person who's been come to by somebody who's seen something in you I'm speaking from experience here and every fibre of your being is resisting what's coming you feel hot, you feel sweaty you feel like uh, condemned, you know all the things that really you don't want to be feeling but you are, it's just feeling really ghastly and that person is sitting in front of you and you don't believe that they're for you, even though they are. Let's say that they do have a beautiful heart. They've been soaking it in prayer. And I, and I know that this is a reality for a lot of people and it's been one for me. And it probably will be again at times when things come up that you don't want to hear. But what is there just one thing or just, or it's just something that you would, because I mean, even in that place, even going to Father can be really hard. 
you know, when you when something comes like that. So you can say, "Oh, go to God," but maybe even that's really hard. What, yeah? What would you say to that person? After the coming to them, what would you say after? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. It's a tricky one. Sometimes I've stopped. So I'll give you an example of that happened. It happened in a cafe. And I, I, I closed it down. So I said, look, I'm, I apologised. Okay. Firstly, I said, look, I'm sorry um, that this has gone where it's gone. And right now, I don't think we should take this any further. And so let's just de-escalate it and let's change the topic and maybe God will have a look at it at another time. That could be what, I'm not saying that's the rule, but that's what I did in that situation because things were getting too heated and um, it wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, I think what you could also do is say, hey, look, I'm just, I'm acknowledging, I want to acknowledge just so I can see some things are happening in you right now. Um, what would you like to do? Would you like to stop? Would you like to continue? Would you like to ask any questions? And just see what the person's saying because it's, it's a working together, isn't it? It's not like, it's, it, it ha for it to truly work, it has to be two-way and their permission given. Um, and that's always, just thinking about that, that's always something to ask at the start. Would you give me permission to speak something into your life? And if they say no... Then say, so, okay, cool. Let's have another coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, just I think it's just reading the person's body language and working with them, and not being afraid to do that. And look, you might get an absolute nasty one, and and it just it's gone, you know. And then it's like, okay, sorry, please forgive me. And then you're trying to rebuild something, maybe the next day to the week whatever and let's be honest like some of these things have ended in absolute disasters and people leave and break relationships so mm. there's no easy sort of thing um, and I think as well whether it, you know whether it be in the moment there's there's one thing you know how do you res how do you respond in the moment when that starts to go down I think another question is what does it look like after that and moving forward and I know for me you know th there's been a number of times where you know, after having conversations like that, there's been some times where it's like been like, actually, we need to continue this conversation again. There's been other times where it's been like, actually, having that same conversation again is is not going to be helpful, and it's actually right just to wait. And you know, even if you, even if you can, you're aware of the things that are going on for this person, it might actually be that the Holy Spirit saying, actually, it's not for you to address that right now. Maybe and maybe revisit it in a couple of months' time, you know, and and so I feel like you can do more damage in continually trying to have the conversation, whereas I think we just need to be free from the outcome and be just and to be led by him in terms of yeah. what's the right thing for that person, you know. So that's right. That's right. And there is, 
I know for me there's been times where, um, you know, going into a conversation, there is a strong sense of being sent into it and a co-laboring with him, with Christ, and and you're going in as a peacemaker to not to restore anything here and there in the carnal, but really for the heart for something to be restored here and there, you know, to to see that and speak to that. Because I think um, we can also try correct others because we personally want something, you know, out of some carnal, weird flesh thing that is about restoring here because you want to be treated differently or seen differently in the eyes of the other person. But but when you know you're going in the heart of Christ that because you, you desire a complete fullness and alignment here, um, there, there really is a sense of co-laboring with him in that eh? And it almost uh, keeps you present in a very awkward, <laughs> sometimes confrontational, sometimes... Um, but but for the the person going in, there is a real sense I'm here to to make peace, you know, to to bring peace. And it's interesting after um, Christ, just thinking about after you know when he died on the cross, and all the disciples are hiding in that room, <laughs> and they're like locking doors and stuff. And then it says he appears, but he appears in the midst of them, in between them, you know. And that Christ, the great mediator. The cross is the very place that joins and comes in the middle and is their connector, you know, of heaven and earth, and um, and it's it's that heart going in with those that vision. Mm. And I think go and asking questions. So if you can help the person recognise patterns of behaviour and draw that out of them, because the behaviour is always the symptom of a root. And so you never want to address the behaviour, you're trying to get to the root. And if you can, if, if someone can recognise their behaviour, then that's a win, because you have agreement. So, you know, have you recognised that when person X walks into the room, you always seem to say a negative word about them? I'm recognising that. Have you recognised that? Yeah, I have actually. Why do you think that is? So you're always trying to go to the why. So, so never look at the behaviour and try to address the behaviour. The behaviour is a symptom of something deeper. And so if the Holy Spirit can show you that going into it. Then you, you can't, you don't just go straight, oh, this is the root issue. You know, It's like you're asking questions, trying to get the person to recognise their behaviour and then asking questions as to why that behaviour may be there. And then you can say, this is what the Holy Spirit has showed me. Now, if there's an agreement, then you can pray straight away for that and break that in the Spirit. And the person can be released right there from that very thing. That's a win. And that's where what Mel's saying, the cross has done its work, the power into salvation. But you do have to be aware of the cross <laughs> comes to this dividing healing work, but you might get a right hand too. Because the other side of that, one, the other side of oneness is division and hurt. And that's where it's very sensitive. So the more you go in knowing from him, because you've spent the time asking and lead with questions to try to get someone to recognize, gee, I do, yep, I do, yep, put my hand up there. 
then you've you know you're you're on to a win. Just something you said there about the division and the oneness, because a person can come to you, and if you're one with him, you know, if, if yeah, there's a oneness with him. Someone can come to you and go, "Hey, I see this and this," and you recognize him in another, then you can hear it. You know, it's not an offense. It's not a divide. You don't sense a divide. It's not an enmity between the person. I'm saying, like, if I was on the other side and someone's bringing something to me, when you hear him in the other person, you 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 hear, and you you can take that on board. And there's a there is a a actual unity in that because even though even though it can be something that you need to come into, there's still a unity in the spirit of like the potential lies before me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There can be a challenge with that, though, in the sense of, I think, humility in two people will always recognise itself. And so the approach is humility. It it doesn't mean, let's play this scenario out, let's say me and Sam. I could come to Sam in humility, and Sam's in humility, but what I'm speaking might not actually be right but I think it is. Now, Sam goes, okay, because I'm humble, Sam's humble, he doesn't get offended because humility and humility are there. Okay? That's the power of poor in spirit, is no offence. Even if pride's coming towards humility, no offence. And then Sam would go, okay, I don't necessarily agree with this, because it may not be. You don't have to agree. Okay, This is the thing. This is the power is, and this is this whole thing. is like you don't have to agree. You don't have to believe. But what we are to do is take it to God. Okay, So take it to God. Sam would take it to the Father and go, is there anything in this because he's humble? I don't think there is. Okay, But because there's humility, I'm going to bring it before my Father to double-check. And Father might say, actually, there's a bit of that. No, it's completely off whack, you know. And this is the tension in all this, yeah, um, because at the end of the day, it is between you and him, you know, meaning you and him. And Danny and I were having this conversation about bring, bring your game, you know, bring your part to the equation um, and yet have a open dialogue from love so you can work through the things rather than not bring your part. If you can hear what I'm trying to say. You know, it's like he wants us to bring our convictions. You know, he wants us to bring, but at the same time you bring in a way of humility, you know, because vice versa, you have your best interests at heart. So... The challenges in all this is discernment, you know, because people can genuinely be convinced that they've heard from God 100%, just as you're convinced that's not of God. And so where do you go there? Well, you put it on the table and you leave it on the table 
and then there's an opportunity to partake at a later time maybe without any offence caused because the person A is not coming going, this is the word of the Lord, you have to believe in it, and if you don't, you're outside of God. So there's no room for error in that. Yeah? So it's a setup. The whole thing is a divine setup, which isn't humility, it's pride. Humility will never come like that, you know? Um, and so it's this tension that exists, and the goal can't be right or wrong. The goal has to be maintaining oneness. And then you can truly look at whatever it is on the table through the eyes of oneness and love and work it out together. So when he says work out your salvation, that's what he's meaning. So this is a real example that um, happened for Jerry and I probably about four months ago. We, are, um, we have a couch in our lounge which we call the Jesus couch and it's like a two and a half seater. Um, so you can technically sit quite far away from each <laughs> other even though it's technically a two seater. Anyway, what happened was at the end of a life group or a discipleship group at our house, um, we had a really hard conversation and somebody was still there, which made it even harder. <laughs> and so the situation played itself out where we were not in agreement and they were watching. And it was kind of almost like they weren't there. It was just like we were just going to have this conversation because we needed to have it. And we were not close together on the couch. It was just not <laughs> happening. And what happened was I wanted to leave the conversation. Jeremy had said something that I was like, uh-uh, you are wrong, <laughs> and I'm not happy about that. And out of fear, I wanted to leave because I was like, I can't, I can't do this, this is too hard. And by that point I'd, I was like, oh yeah, there's somebody else watching as well. And so it was like in that moment, something had come over me that was like, okay, I either leave now out of fear because this has gotten too hard or I choose to stay. And, you know, this is somebody I live with. <laughs> I'm married to him. I was going to have to be either choosing to sleep on the couch that night or sort it out. But something in me was like, oh, I'm really scared of what's going to happen if I stay in this conversation. And then God said, with the help of Jeremy, you need to stay. And what happened was we had, I heard Jeremy then. I heard him. The fear left and I heard what he was saying and and then he heard what I was saying and then we prayed and the person who was sitting there <laughs> ended up praying for us as well like because they'd, they'd watched something um, so it was really humbling to be honest but they'd also watched how we came back together and so it was like for me in that moment, I was like, okay, this is, this is not that it's not going to happen 
because it is, and it does happen in marriage quite a bit. And we will sit quite separately on the Jesus couch for a while until we find a way to come back together. And when we do, it's like, oh, this is so much better. Like, we're together again. The agreement has come. But it's so easy to not want to stay because that thing, like what you're talking about, Amanda, that thing rises up and it's like you can feel your body temperature change, you know, you can feel everything, the emotion, and it's like, okay, yes, I have emotion, but what's more important here? I actually have to put that emotion, that fear aside and say, God, what really matters here? I want to be in agreement with my husband. And so... Yeah, I just, I just loved watching him work that out for us. And I'm sure he'll do it again. Maybe not in front of somebody like that. But that's okay. That's all part of humility as well. You've got to be willing to say, actually, yeah, we don't always get this right. And you're actually watching an outworking that happens regularly in our home. But God's got us back together again. And he'll continue to do that because we're in it to win it. You know, we're not going anywhere. We're staying in the conversation and in the marriage. <laughs> and what you do is you give God the opportunity to be God and not you. Because God can fix it if you let him be God rather than you be God and go, I can't. No, that's right, you can't. He can. See? And that's this whole thing where we've got to be so careful that we're not the lords of our own lives. Because we say he's Lord and go, well, then let him be Lord and sort it out. No, he, he can't. No, no, you're, you're looking through your lens of lordship. You can't. He can. So don't miss out on God being God in your life and taking you somewhere where you can't take you. Cool. All right. What a night. So, Father, I thank you for what it is that you've been ministering and speaking to us this evening. And Father, I just pray that for each of us, um, that you would continue to bring us to this place of being poor of spirit. Um, Father, that we can receive from you and receive from one another. Um, and Father, I thank you that that's the starting position, but it's the ultimate position. It's it's really it's the place of learning and growth and opportunity. Um, so, Father, I just pray that you'd continue to work your divine work in us um, as we go um, from this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.